how is everybody doing? And welcome back for another Strength Chat episode. Today, I have got a very special guest for you. Today, I'm joined by one of the world's foremost authorities on strength, conditioning, and energy systems, as well as the author of the best-selling book, Ultimate MMA Conditioning. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Joel Jameson. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to talk to uh, someone else in the UK. As long as I can understand your accent, I'll do my best here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I always kind of uh, have to think that or maybe slow down a little bit spe uh, speaking. I think um, sometimes having a, a broad Yorkshire accent doesn't always uh, go well over, over podcasts. But I, I'll yeah, do I mean, I've, I've, I've traveled a bit in the UK and Ireland and half the time I'm trying to understand what they're talking about the further out you get the country the harder it becomes so you're not too bad i got you yeah oh that's not bad then i know obviously from uh, yeah just thinking about that going from leeds an hour up to newcastle accent changes it changes again and keep going north and it changes yep. again when you get to scotland um, yeah exactly so uh how are you what have you been up to what's been happening in your world recently uh just up to a lot of things honestly i don't i don't know how much uh you pay attention to what I work on these days, but um, I'm working a lot on the technology side. I'm, I'm trying to help coaches and everyone else out there connect the dots between the life outside the gym and their training inside the gym. So I, I'm building some technology around HRV and recovery and sleep and training and kind of the whole big picture. So I've been working a lot on that, uh, working on some new courses around that, those topics and uh, some interval train stuff. So just a variety, actually. Oh, cool. And with, because obviously you've mentioned there about traveling with things sort of, you know, borders opening and things getting a little bit uh, more back to normal. Um, is, is that going to pick up in terms of, uh, of of traveling and work on that side of things? Or um, will it be a case of, you know, when, when other projects are coming up? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's been weird. I, I used to travel all the time in the spring and sometimes the summer. And obviously with, with everything the last couple of years, I haven't done much of that, but uh, yeah, as things start to open back up, I just saw a conference that was down in Orlando this last weekend that a bunch of friends of mine spoke at and went to, and, and I was invited to go to that, but I'm not going to fly from Hawaii to, to anywhere right now. So I'm sticking it out here through the winter, but uh, yeah, once, once spring and summer come around, I think I'll definitely be doing some more traveling and it'll be good to get back in the gym and in person. I mean, I know there's been a lot of courses and things online and i've done a lot of that but it's it's always better if you can to be face to face and 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 meet and talk and learn in person and that's really what i think the industry needs to get back to honestly yeah definitely and i, I suppose there's worse places that you could uh, spend winter in 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 hawaii as well they, yeah um, exactly I mean, compared, compared to the weather and where you're at uh yeah <laughs> definitely over here. well it's better, better weather than it was yesterday. I can actually see a little bit of sunshine coming out today, which will be good. Because um, one thing just on that in terms of getting back into the gym and, and, and talking and presenting in the in the gym and in person, um, obviously there was the Kabuki um, Strength uh, Education Week, you know, presenting yeah. online. And I know for me, based over in, in, in the UK, it was really good event. I mean, all right, I was living on Pacific time for um, uh, for, for, for a week, but yeah. how did you find sort of like presenting on, on that? And do you think there'll be a lot more um, uh, events and online events on that? Because in terms of reaching a wider audience, I thought that was that was really helpful. The only thing was obviously, you know, um, you can't get that flow of conversation between someone in, in, in person. Yeah, I mean, I think I think probably you're gonna see a lot of hybrid stuff moving forward. I mean, even the conference that just happened in Orlando had an online version. Uh, my friend Luca Hosovar runs a big live in-person event with two or 300 people. It also has uh, a virtual option. So I think it'll be kind of come the standard. The people that 
can make the travel and they want to make travel be in person well and the people that you know don't want to fly halfway across the world or aren't able to they can they can stream it virtually or they can buy the recording so i think we'll just kind of see more of that happening and there's there's advantages obviously to to both so you know i think we'll we'll probably just kind of continue to see that model moving forward yeah definitely because I, th- I think it is a, it was it was a cool concept because like you say you know there's some um uh, seminars or uh, conferences that you would look at and you know it doesn't always um uh, fall where you can where you can get over there especially when it when it's a, when it's abroad so i thought that was a, a you know a cool uh, a cool concept um it is, yeah i'll just I'll, you know i'll just say real quick that i think the learning virtually is great like i said it opened the doors for you to go to conferences learn learn from people you never get to learn from and and hear things you probably wouldn't get to hear. But I also, I grew up in this field in the days of traveling everywhere and spending the weekends with people. And I remember Mel Stiff and Super Train, I slept at his house on his floor for four nights. And uh, there's there's so much to be learned from just the in-person interactions. Honestly, I learned more going out to dinner or drinks with the presenters and other people in the conference afterwards than I ever learned during their talks. Uh, you know, when you start getting a few coaches and presenters a little bit uh, drunk, they start to really open up and you, you can really pick their brain and learn a lot from them. So I don't, I don't think we'll ever, I don't think virtual learning is a substitute. I still believe in-person learning is the, the best you can do, but obviously scenarios and circumstances and locations make that impossible sometimes. So I think there's, there, like I said, there's, there's advantages to having both available. And I think if you can make it live, then that's the way to go. But if not, then uh, virtual is certainly beneficial as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that I think that's a good point, and that's why that's part of the reason why I kept with the with the name Strength Chat because you know uh, it means that we can go on uh, tangents and have it as a have, have it as a conversation because you know even though there'll be questions that I've written down, there might be other thoughts, you know, and I think sometimes exactly like what you said there, when you're in a more uh, relaxed environment, having a beer you can chat a little bit more and those creative juices get flowing a little bit sometimes when you've had a, a yeah it's just you know look it's the same thing as virtual coaching everyone's jumping the virtual coaching bandwagon i'm not gonna you know i won't say a bunch of bad things about it but i think you know if you can afford and you have the ability to have a coach working with you in person it, you're going to get better results than you are working with somebody who's on the other side of the country or the world or whatever it's, it's better than not having a coach it's better than kind of winging it by yourself but you know i think we just We've kind of gotten used to this non-in-person these interactions virtually, and I personally don't like it. I think uh, we need to get back to normal life and get back to interacting with people on a in a more personal basis. And I think we'll all benefit from that once we can. Yeah, definitely. I know when the gyms reopened back over in the UK, at first we could only do sessions outside. Um, before we could go into before we could go into the gym and I jumped at the chance to to actually coach people people outside I mean you know at first it was a it was a bit of a pain grabbing equipment outside um but then actually one of the coaches um that that I work with uh, one of his friends actually made uh, a flywheel machine homemade flywheel machine so oh, nice. you know that was that was useful to 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 use um outside as well and a, a lot easier to uh, lug around compared to um, bar, barbells and plates um, obviously, I did a little bit of, a, of an introduction there, but for anyone listening who might not know your uh, background in coaching, the development throughout your career and the people that you've, that, that you've worked with, um, do you sure. want to give a little bit of a background to yourself? Yeah, I mean, I'll kind of give you the 60-second version of the last 20 years if I can. So I got started on the same side of the game that most coaches do, which is strength. Uh, I worked at the University of Washington Growing up interning with a guy named Bill Gillespie, who if, if any of your listeners are familiar with powerlifting, the guy is just a, a monster. I mean, he's 
He's a lifetime drug-free lifter that's bench pressed 800 pounds. I believe he's in his mid sixties now. Uh, and the guy is just a freak of nature. He's incredibly strong, incredibly hardworking, consistent. And really that's kind of where I learned the strength side and lifted with him. I mean, my deadlifts got stronger just lifting off his bench press for him than uh, they probably have ever been. Uh, and, and that was really kind of the direction my career was going with strength. Conditioning wasn't something I knew a whole lot about. I didn't really think about it. It was kind of the usual run some gashers to end of a practice or training session and call it good. And that was really my view. Uh, and then 2003 or 2002, I moved to the Seahawks a little bit because Bill went over there. I followed him on the NFL and did kind of the same thing. And then decided I didn't want to spend my entire career jumping from team to team, which is the professional route that a lot of coaches decide to go. I just didn't want to have to be, you know, playing musical chairs for jobs every few years. Uh, so I opened up a gym and I was 23 years old and just kind of by luck and happenstance, I guess the gym I opened up was right next to an MMA facility and not just any MMA facility, but what turned out to really be that best MMA facility in the world. So very quickly, I was training combat athletes of the highest caliber. The first guy I trained was for a fight in K1, which is, you know, the, at that point in time, the highest level of, of kickboxing MMA. So it was really eye-opening to me. And when I first started training them, uh, I evaluated their strength. So that's kind of what I knew how to do. And I was like, man, these guys are so weak. Like they can, they can do like three pull-ups and they, they can't bench press their body weight. They can't squat or deadlift or clean shit. Like they're so weak, right? So immediately I'm like, I'm going to make these guys monsters. I'm just going to get them really strong and I'm going to look like a genius and they're going to go kill everybody. And I'm going to be the best in the business. Right. Uh, you know, when I, when I was young and naive. And so I started doing that, right. I started lifting them heavy and getting them stronger. And then a couple of times, uh, into this, they, they say, Hey, why don't you come roll with me and give it, give us a, you know, a roll with you in the mat. So I went over there and proceeded to get my ass just kicked over and over again, even though I was twice as strong as them, you know, I could lift, so much more weight them in the gym and I could, you know, I, I was just monstrously stronger than them, but I, I was done in 20 seconds and they were just tapping me out over and over again and making me look stupid. And that was really kind of this, holy shit, I, I don't know what I'm doing moment because I thought that making this guy stronger was going to really be the thing that was going to make them better. But the reality was I was, I was way stronger than they were probably ever going to be. And I couldn't do anything against them. I was, I was completely gassed out in, you know, literally a matter of seconds and they were just playing with me. So, you know, I basically just made the decision. I was never going to let them down. And I had to learn everything I could about conditioning and energy systems and help them become better athletes. Because the one thing about combat sports, it's, it's one-on-one, -on -one, right? It's not a team sport where your work might be hidden and you can't really tell what happened, right? It's, it's your guy versus their guy or that guy. And if your guy gasses out, you know, you don't have to look too far to figure out where the problem was, right? It was this conditioning. So, you know, I really just dove head first into the conditioning side of things. And, and back then, you know, you're talking 04, 05, there wasn't a whole lot out there. So it was really just a process of self-education and trial and error and training with them. I started training the sport myself so I could understand the demands of it and doing really as much of the program with them as I could. And, uh, you know, eventually started having a lot of success. So I wrote, started writing about it in 2009 and opened up a, you know, create my website because I realized there was a big growth of the sport and not a lot of people talking about how to train them intelligently. A lot of it was just, you know, smash your head in the wall over and over again, and you're going to be conditioned, which was <laughs> about the extent of the knowledge out there. So wrote book, Ultimate Conditioning, caught on pretty quickly. It was being used by a wide variety of sports. Um, and really things just kind of grew from there. So it grew into a certification and traveling and consulting. Um, at the same time, kind of tangential to the whole thing, I started using a technology called HRV pretty early in my career, 2002, you know, 2001, really, really long time ago. And that was 
really instrumental in me understanding the demands of the sport because I could see their recovery or lack thereof, depending on what they were doing. I could see it change as they were getting ready for fights. I could uh, just kind of understand what was happening inside and outside the gym and use that for a number of years. So I started developing that side of the, my, my business and my coaching in 2011 to launch HRV app called Bioforce HRV. So it's really just been a combination of, of helping people understand conditioning, energy systems, you know, preparation for sports and events. And then along the way, technology became a big part of that and helping people understand how to, you know, use technology for something more than just a number to look at on a screen and um, helping put them put all those pieces together. So it's, it's just been a long, like I said, 20 years of, of learning how to do this myself and then helping other people understand how to do it uh, as well. Oh, cool. I think that I think a, a common uh, uh, word that you used throughout there was, you know, understanding it, understanding y- yourself, but then also passing that information on, on, on to other people. Um, yep. Because I think that's how you learn. We talk a lot about, you know, what makes a successful uh, strength and conditioning coach working with the sport and especially, you know, uh, grappling or, or wrestling with the athletes that you're working with. You get more of an understanding, whereas exactly like what what you what you say it's a case of oh, yeah, oh they're, they're really weak let's let's make them stronger and it'll and, and they'll be able to um uh, their performance be able to benefit it's a little bit like oh we need to get them powerful so we'll do weightlifting well we know we don't want to make them weightlifters they're you know combat sport athletes we want to be make them specific for their sport and a couple of things sort of um building off uh, fr- from that would be in terms of the the strength training side of things, obviously, in terms of the um, the barbell and the uh, the strength in the gym compared to the strength that they would have in terms of body weight and in terms of, of grappling, is there a difference between that and how 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 do you balance that? And then in terms of the the, the fitness side of things, what are sort of the um, uh, the the energy systems or the training that you would use to have a look and be like right okay what do we actually need to work on with this athlete you know it's not just a case of thinking of that rocket of the rocky film where he just goes out running for miles for miles and miles what's what's the process of finding out what's going to work best for the athletes if those two questions make sense yeah so i mean look i think first of all the most important thing if you're going to work with an athlete is to understand very clearly what the demands of their sport are right what are the strength demands what are the you know metabolic energy system demands what are the competitive demands what does their sport require and then and then from there you start to build this model and this model really informs your coaching and so early on i started to realize like there was a certain level of base foundational we can call it barbell strength that they needed if they didn't have that, then they were going to be susceptible in the grappling game because grappling is more resistance based. You know, the wrestling piece, you, you do need a fair amount of strength to be able to compete in that game. But going above a certain amount really was not more beneficial, right? Like making someone squat 500 pounds probably wasn't going to make them any better than squatting, I don't know, 250, 300 or whatever. There's disappointed diminishing returns. You know, by the same token, there's a certain amount of aerobic development that becomes really beneficial. And once you go above that, you know, you probably have to put so much more train into it that it takes away from their strength. So you, you essentially just have to realize fundamentally life and the body and performance is a game of trade-offs, right? Like you can't have it all. I can't take somebody and give them powerlifting strength and endurance athlete level endurance and then combine this in this combat athlete who knocks you out but can do it for five straight rounds. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. I can't take Usain Bolt speed and then make him run a marathon, right? It, it's just... The body is designed to adapt to very specific demands and it gets really good at those demands. 
And that means compromising other areas. So the number one thing, like I said, if you don't truly understand the demands of the sport, and, and that could be everything from the movement and the skills they require, so where do they need strength and where do they not necessarily need strength, uh, how many hours a day they're training. And that's the thing you have to talk about is the training for the sport is, has a different requirement often than the sport and the competition itself. So like, for example, a, a combat athlete, they're going to fight you know, three five-minute rounds in most sports in MMA, or they're going to fight five five-minute rounds. So 15 or 25 minutes, that's what they're trained to fight. That's their competition. But their training every day is two to three, sometimes four hours, right? Like their actual training has a different demand than their competition. And that's the case in a lot of sports, right? A power lifter is probably doing three max reps, maybe four, depending on the meet and their in the lift. But the number of reps they do in training is massively higher than three or four. So you, you have to kind of take a step back and like you have to train for the training. You have to be able to have the fitness to train for the sport. And then you have to be able to transfer that into the competition itself. So I guess my long-winded answer is I always start by really understanding as much as I possibly can, what are the demands of the sport? Not just the competition, but the entire process of getting ready for the competition. And from there, I start to build a model, like I said, of, of what separates successful athletes and what's the, from the ones who aren't. And my role as the strength conditioning coach is to help them get closer to that physical model of what it's going to take to be successful. And that, again, a lot of times comes down to figuring out what's going to help this person get better. You know, if this person's strength is already high enough, do I really want to spend a whole lot of resources and energy developing more strength? Probably not. If it's not necessary, I want to just maintain it. Um, it's always trying to figure out where someone's greatest improvements are going to come from and then steering their training around that. And, and just over time, you get better and better at recognizing that you get better and better at coaching that and you have a greater understanding of the sport. So it's really hard, I think, in this field to be a strength mission coach that works with, you know, 20 different sports. That's really hard because it's very hard to truly understand the nature of each of those sports. If you can, if you can really kind of, I guess, specialization is maybe not the word, if you can get really good and, and be fortunate enough to work with a smaller number of sports and be really, really well-informed and really, really experienced in those sports, you're going to have a much better chance of making those athletes successful than if you're trying to do too many things across too many sports you don't really understand. That's, that's kind of the challenge of our, of our game. Yeah, I think it's that, that phrase come to mind. Um, uh, uh, jack of all trades, maybe master of master of none, yeah, because then it's just absolutely. sort of general um, uh, general strength and condition, if you like. We can generally get them stronger, generally get them more powerful or, 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 or fitter. Um, and a, a couple of things that you, that you mentioned there in terms of understanding the demand of the sport, but then also in terms of um, the uh, the athlete that's in front of you and what came to mind that when you were speaking about there I'm not sure whether you watched the uh, the heavyweight UFC fight uh, Ngannou versus I can't think of the 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 French the French guy's name yeah um, I did actually but, yeah but both really powerful athletes I mean Ngannou I think has knocked out anyone that is that is being in the ring with to so to go from being like what you mentioned there about the competition side of things um, there would be uh, three or five or five rounds um and he's obviously been knocking and gano has been knocking people out whereas then he's come up against uh, a similar athlete a similar uh, a similar combat combat athlete and they've gone the full distance how do you cater that to the athlete especially when you know a lot of combat athletes will have a lot of you know power there'll be a lot of a lot of athletes that just want to knock people out how do you manage their energy systems or you know try and change it 
um, uh, fight to fight or, or, or in boxing as well, because, you know, you do find sometimes that um, they have to adapt to that and sometimes they can end up, you know, blowing themselves out, even though they've put the work in in training. Yeah, I mean, I was really fortunate to work with a guy named Matt Hume, you know, who I would say unquestionably knowing what I know is the best MMA coach really to ever live, if not one of the best combat sports coaches to ever live. <clears throat> so I was able to watch his expertise, you know, in action because he would basically come up with a game plan for every single fight, you know, based on the fighter, based on the opponent. And that game plan would be, you know, what dictated what I wanted to do. If it was that the game plan was to keep the fight standing and we knew there was going to be, be a lot of wrestling to make that happen then that requires a different training approach. And if the game plan is to take the guy down over and over again, you have to understand what is it your athlete needs to do in a competition. And then you have to give them the physical tools to do that. So, you know, in combat sports, it's a dynamic sport. Anything can happen, obviously. And you, you have to be well-rounded enough to, to be able to perform that way. But you also want to impose your game plan on the other person. And that's a good example of it, right? Uh, you saw him actually taking the guy down to kind of throw him off and, and it worked. So, you basically have to be fortunate enough to have a good relationship with the skill coach or, you know, as best you can. And I think that's something that's missing in our sport in a lot of areas outside of teams uh, and work together as much as you can, because your, again, your ability to help the athlete be prepared physically and mentally uh, is dependent on what the athlete has to do. And in a sport like MMA, that is going to change or boxing, that is going to change from fight to fight more from MMA than boxing, because you have takedowns and whole other dimension in MMA that you don't have in boxing, but still, uh, you, again, you kind of have to understand what are the physical things that this person has to do really well, and then how can I help them achieve those? How can I help them be able to do those in the, in the ring, in the octagon or wherever? So like I said, a lot of that was just fight specific, and that's what training camps are for. It's to drill over and over again and to train the specific areas that you know are going to be you know, involved in the fight. So if there's going to be a lot of Muay Thai, you know there's going to be a lot of clinch work, you better work on strength and neck and the posterior chain. If it's going to be you know, a war of takedowns and you better get them really strong in the hips and able to, to, you know, to grapple effectively through the movements, you know, they're going to be in the game. So the, the, the more, again, that's where it comes down to the sport. You just, you have to know the sport to be a really effective coach. And I'm not saying if you don't know the sport, you can't help them, but the more you understand the coach or more you understand the, the sport, the skills, the demands, the game plan, the more effective you can be as a training conditioning coach. Yeah. And especially working with the with the skill coaches and the other coaches surrounding that athlete, because ultimately it's their performance in the octagon in on on, on fight night that's going to dictate, you know, success or, or, or failure or what actually has happened in the gym. Not necessarily going back to the point that you mentioned about the about the squat. Is it really worth them pushing their squat up when actually they've got a reasonable amount of strength and they're then strong enough to be able to um, put that game plan in place when it comes to, uh, when it comes to fight, fighting on the night. Uh, a, couple, a couple of things from that, because obviously you, you mentioned at the start, you know, understanding the sport, getting used to um, uh, putting, uh, implementing strategies in, in place. What was sort of the um, uh, challenges or obstacles you found uh, with the trial and error in terms of work in, in working with athletes? Because even though we've spoken there about, you know, we can put the right systems in place. If there's going to be a lot of takedowns, we can, we can work, work on those things. But where sort of what challenges and obstacles did you find and where sure. do you sometimes see that people go wrong in terms of, you know, preparing uh, athletes for um, uh, for the game plan to, to put in place? Yeah, look, I mean, a, a lot of it in, in combat sports comes down to travel is a big deal and then weigh ins are a big deal. When you when you add all that onto just the mental preparation that goes into fighting, you have 
a lot of room for error. So if you don't cut weight right, or if you don't travel at the right time and adjust, uh, you know, physiologically to new time zones, all those things can have a big impact. So again, I think a lot of the, my early days was, was thinking purely about the time in the, the gym and not realizing that my job didn't end when they got to the competitive, uh, you know, city or venue, there was, there was a lot more that had to be done. So there was, you know, again, just relying on some experience of Matt and, and trying some things out in terms of cutting weight and rehydrating, uh, you know, how much training you do on the day of the fight versus just resting. I mean, there's a lot of things you got to try to figure out. And so I think early on, um, you know, we definitely made some mistakes in that area or, or I did, but the more you do it, the more you become good at it. And the more you learn how each person reacts, I guess that's the other thing you learn over time is um, there's, there's trial and error of, of each athlete, you know, that each athlete has differences and some are going to respond really well to one type of, of training and, and fight prep and get in the ring and they perform well. And then you try the same strategy, somebody else, and they just fall flat. They're just a different human being. So that's the other thing about this. It's difficult. People are different. You know, we're, 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 we're interesting people or interesting organisms and in that no, no two are the exact same. They're not going to respond the same, the same thing over and over again. So a lot of, like I said, trial and error is, is learning the sport and then learning the athlete and, and trying not to screw it up as you go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, when you mentioned there, we, we've touched a little bit on the, on the recovery side of things and especially on, uh, on traveling and in terms of the balance between, because obviously, you know, the, the work that you've done and the information on the, uh, uh, on the training and the energy systems side of things, the recovery side of things is all, all is equally as important, you know, in terms of the, um, the heart rate variability as, uh, as well what sort of the balance between that? Because I know sometimes um, you can get sucked into, yeah, this is going to be the plan. This is going to be the training that we're going to do. But if they can't recover from that, you know, um, then they're not going to be able to get the the benefit out, out of that training because they're not going to be able to put as much effort in and that, you know, they might be goosed or, you know, a little bit overcooked um, heading into, heading into the fight. So how was, how has that changed for you over time? And has that balance shifted do you sometimes more more towards the recovery side of things depending on depending on the athlete or is it an even split yeah i mean there's there's an old saying like everyone has a plan to get punched in the face right it's <laughs> kind of the same thing like everyone has a great train like program until you actually start doing it so uh you know again as i progress throughout my career and as i've been able to work with matt there's a lot of variability in it there's a lot of just coaching that goes into making decisions about is this the right thing to do today and he and I would both have a broad outline of what we wanted to do and what the weekly structure looked like. There's a lot of variability in that. And that's where, you know, using HRV, just using your coaching experience, understanding that particular athlete you're working with, all that goes into decision-making so that you might come in a Friday and you had a really intense session planned, uh, but you just see it in their faces and you see it in the data, that's not the best plan for day. And so you make that change. I think you, you can't be afraid to make a change as necessary. I mean, people are dynamic and people have lives outside the gym and those all impact everything. So the, the biggest thing you want to avoid is this accumulation of stress over, over time. So you're not going to overtrain from, you know, a couple of days or, or even a week of doing more than you can recover from, but it's the accumulation of gradually doing more than you can recover from adds up and you, you get in what I call like a recovery debt where you've just, you've outstripped your ability to recover for enough time that it has a real impact on you. And it slows down everything and makes, makes you more likely to get injured. It makes you more likely to just perform poorly, everything else. It goes along with that. So that's, that's what you're always looking for, right? It's, it's making the right decision today to prepare you for tomorrow over and over again. So the more I've been in, in this game, the more I recognize the value of 
coaching in terms of making those decisions. And, you know, that's what I think separates the really good coaches from the less experienced or less, less effective coaches is knowing what the person needs on a given day. And if you watch any, any team, any sport, the highest level coaches, I, I've never seen somebody I'd consider a great coach who does everything set in stone. They're always flexible because they've learned over the years and then through the game that, you know, you have to be adaptable to where athletes and people are rather than where you, you know, want them to be or think they should be. You just have to meet them where they're at. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of the last part of coaching is, or, you know, one of them is, is again, it's decision-making and the more, the more you can understand the athlete and the more you can be flexible in your decision-making chances are your success rate will be much better than if you try to just keep everything set in stone and follow something that you planned out three months ago, because, uh, that's just, just not the way the real world of human beings works most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point because especially if you've done a three month plan, you know, a lot might, a lot might change. You might get thrown uh, a curveball. It's got to be, uh, it's got to be adaptable. Like, like what you mentioned and, I think, you know, I always like to explain it as, right, if this is plan A, what's plan B? And then even if we have to go all the way to plan Z, at least then we can we can adjust and change. And there's some, uh, we're still aiming to have some direction from there rather than having it as a case of, well, this is what I planned. We've got to do this today. Uh, well, I can't do that. Well, what's the, you know, what, what, what's the what's the alternative? Um, yep. In terms of the... Uh, when you've when you've said there in terms of it, you know, adjusting the the plan, and uh, especially with the uh, the combat athletes, you know, uh, side side of things, um, there can be a mentality of uh, because, like what you said at the start, it's it's one on one, you know, and the the want a challenge, and the will the will be competitive, um, and there's kind of some of the um, maybe old school mentality in the in in the combat in the combat sport world. How do you balance that in terms of the coaching with the systems that you've in place to maybe, um, I think maybe hold them back a little bit in terms in terms of doing too much or you know thinking that the, all they have to do is because obviously they need to do the skill side of things, but then also there's the other element of right we want to do the conditioning to complement that that skill set. How do you kind of get that buy in or was there any any struggles with that to 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 adjust and adapt that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that is really what relationship building is all about. I mean, you need that athlete to trust you and you need to trust that athlete. And that, again, that kind of comes over time with working with somebody, but also comes from just success. Right. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of success and train a lot of people at the highest levels. So obviously a new person is going to come to me and trust me because I've, I've been there and I've done that. And that just takes time to build. If you're working brand new sport and you're, you're just kind of getting started you know, the biggest thing you can do is just communicate as effectively as possible why you are doing the things that you're doing and make sure they understand, you know, what your reasoning is. And then again, you start to get that buy-in, you start to have that trust, they listen to you and they start to be successful and that relationship grows from there. So, you know, I think a lot of coaches are, again, they're, I've seen too many coaches afraid to give athletes what they, what the coach thinks they need, rather they want to give them what they want. And that's a mistake, right? The athletes, uh, you know, they, they're, they're, they're competitive human beings, right? They, they want to perform. They think they can do more than they can half the damn time. Um, and, you know, they're going to try to push their bodies because they think that's the right answer. And, you know, maybe in the short run, they can get away with that. But, you know, your job as a coach is often not uh, to look at tomorrow or the next day, but, you know, their career and the long term for them. So well, a lot of times, like I said, I think it just comes down to being a really effective communicator, uh, explaining why you're doing what you're doing, what the benefits are, how it's going to help them. And then you just get gradual buying over time. You, you show them wins. You show that they're feeling better. You, you see that they're, they start to see that they aren't, uh, 
maybe they're not having the injuries that they used to have in the past and their body is holding up to training more effectively and, and they start to put the two and two together and then they just, uh, you know, they get more buy-in and they listen to you more. But again, that just comes down to coaching. If you're, if you're a good coach, if you're an effective communicator, if you're able to get that buy-in, that respect and that trust, you're going to be successful, you know, and if you don't, uh, you know, then you're going to be facing up a battle with everybody you coach. Yeah. There was a couple of things that you, that you mentioned there all on the side of the, of the coaching side of things. I know we've mentioned about the, uh, the, the training side of things and the systems that you, that you would put in place, but all that can go out of the window. If like what you, that you said there, trust and building a relationship with the, with the athlete, especially, you know, for a lot of coaches um, uh, listening who might be, uh, who might be new coaches, it's a case of, you know, you need to get that sorted first. The, the education side of things, you can always, like what we were chatting about at the start, you can always learn those things and learn how to implement it. But if you can't put that message across to the athlete, you're all, you know, you're all, you're always going to be, um, uh, you know, struggling, um, struggling with that, which is, an, which is an important side, an important side of things. Um, and especially working with the, with the athlete, athlete side, side uh, of things, it's not a case of, I thought that was a really good point in terms of we don't just want to think for the next week for the game, you've got all the, all the fight, you know, there's the career to, to, to think of because as soon as you mentioned that, you know, you've got to start thinking about there's been uh, great team sport players, great, great fighters who have only had a couple of fights, but then are injured or are out for, out for a long time. And then yep. they've never seen the same athlete, when they've come back because they've, they've had injuries, whereas some of the greats of any sport have played or fought consistently and have had long, successful, successful I mean, I would, careers. I would say the great, I would say every great, just about of the sports that we think yeah. of, right. From Michael Jordan to, you know, Tom Brady, who just retired. I mean, all the greats that we can look back on as the best of all time had long, successful careers. I mean, we don't talk about anybody that flamed out in three years. <laughs> right. Like you're, you're talking about the guys who did it day in and day out for, for a year and a year out with like I said, Tom Brady being the most recent one. And the way they did it was by thinking towards the long term and, and it was by taking care of their body. And it was about making decisions that weren't going to be uh, short sighted. And, and they were able to be successful because of that. So, again, I think really it just comes down to having that mindset that, uh, you know, making decisions today isn't just about today. It, these decisions today really are about uh, the long term as well and more than just about today's workout. I see this. This is also a big thing, I think, in personal training. It's something that, uh, you know, I try to get out there. A lot of coaches these days are almost afraid to train people less than 100% because they feel like you're gonna, they're going to leave. My clients are going to leave me if I don't give them a really hard workout because that's what they expect and that's what they want. And, you know, if I don't push them into the ground, then they're, they're not going to think that the workout was good enough for them. You know, and the, the biggest reality is, like, they want to get better. They want to lose weight. They want to feel better. They want to feel healthy, like, they're there to get results, you know, and if they think that just smash themselves into the ground is the way to do that, they're not going to be successful. So it's up to you as the coach to educate them and to have a, a system behind your training rather than just a, hey, I'm going to push you into the ground every single day. I mean, everybody can do that. That's that's the problem. If, if that's your mindset, you're competing with every idiot out there. Uh, you know, anybody can push somebody really hard and run them into the ground, but not everybody can make them better. So I think you can't be afraid to go against the grain a bit and focus on just producing results. And that comes from an intelligent training program, not just from driving people as hard as you can every time they step in the door. If your only tool in your coaching belt is intensity, you're, you're, you're pretty one-dimensional, unfortunately, and you're just not going to have a very, you're not going to have a long career in this either because you're going to burn through people and, and ultimately you're not going to build a successful career in this sport or in this game. 
Yeah, 100%. And I think I was listening to a podcast a, a couple of days ago and I can't, I can't remember I can't remember what, who was speaking, but they said, you don't have to do as much as what you think you have to do. You don't have to, you know, just absolutely push it to the limit every time. And the, the analogy is, you know, if you've got your car and you, you just absolutely tear your car all, all the time and push it to the limit all the time, you're probably going to have to, you know, um, uh, get a new car relatively, you know, re relatively soon. Um, whereas if, like with anything, if you look after anything, make sure you get it serviced, it's MOT, you know, using the car analogy, it's going to last, you know, a, 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 a little bit longer, get a few, get a few more miles in. And yeah, yeah I think man. that, especially when we've spoken about the, the training side of things for everything that, we, that, that we've chatted about, um, that is important. That is important to remember because you know if they're like what we touched on, we you know in terms of the the longer career, sometimes you have injuries. I was watching uh, some rugby uh, last weekend, and um, you could see the player had a long term injury, and you could just see in his game he wasn't um, basically what it was. He was you could see he was frightened to step off one foot, so all the defence did was push him onto his other foot. And then that dictated the game of play, and then that Im impacts the performance, which goes back to what we were talking about at the start, which is it's that end result performance that we want, we want to be focusing on. So the things in the background, we want to make sure that they're um, uh, capable of that of that performance, and nothing sort of holding holding them back. Um, yep. Yep. Moving sort of um, uh, side sideways a little bit on there from the from the combat side of things, obviously as uh, strength chat talking about you know strength strength training or you know strength sports and. The, the systems and the, the training that we've spoken about for the conditioning side of things and at the start knowing the demands of the sport, do you think you know other uh, sports uh, looking at the at the content there, oh well, that just gets them fitter. So I can do that. I can do that for, 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 for my sport. Um, and in terms of obviously in the, in the powerlifting or, or, or strongman or weightlifting, you know, their goal is to get stronger. So what's the level of fitness? And do you think, you know, them uh, using these systems that are specific for combat sports, they're actually hindering their progress rather than thinking about, right, actually, what do they actually need to make them more successful in their own sport? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think anytime you're trying to copy another sport, you're probably doing something wrong. I mean, your, your sport is your sport. The demands are your demands. I mean, a, a you know, strengthened athlete who needs to do, you know, a power lifter, or like a strong man, they've got a much, much different set of requirements than someone who's fighting for 15 to 25 minutes. So I wouldn't use the same conditioning methods. I wouldn't use the same training modalities, you know, for the most part, I'm going to figure out what works best for that particular sport. So again, it, it comes down to what I said earlier. It's about understanding the profile, right? A, a powerlifter needs enough aerobic fitness to not die uh, and to recover fast enough. And they don't need more than that, right? You, you don't spend so much time developing the aerobic side that you take away from the strength and power. But at the same point in time, if you do no aerobic work whatsoever, A, you're going to be unhealthy. Uh, and B, you're probably going to slow down your recovery because you're not doing anything when you're not training. So you need blood flow. You need uh, to drive some tissue movement and mobility to drive recovery. So you know, GPP is what powerlifters call conditioning, right? They, they need some GPP, but they, they call it something different because they hate that word of, you know, aerobic work or conditioning. They call it GPP. It's, it's the same thing. Uh, <laughs> it's just different terminology. So yeah, the question is always how much, you know, again, that kind of depends on, on the athlete. The strong man is going to need more different amounts of fitness than, you know, an Olympic weightlifter. Um, so each, each sport, again, is a little bit different, but you have to approach strength sports 
very differently than a sport where your primary you know energy system is the aerobic side predominantly versus you know almost entirely anaerobic sports which would be the olympic weightlifts and powerlifting so um yeah like i said the the, the long answer again is just understand the, the profile of a successful powerlifter and work towards that basically yeah the the start that the, that you mentioned there if you copy in conditioning for, for other sports it's a little bit like when you mentioned about you know um getting good at training athletes in in one sport rather than being you know quite general because then you might think oh well yeah we'll we'll just do this conditioning it'll just just help from there and when we touched on about the recovery side of things you know if you're um uh, lifting three four times a week and then trying to put in you know conditioning sessions that aren't specific for you the yeah. the main thing that you said there you know we don't want to we don't they don't want to die so what's the level of fitness what's the entry point of what we want to of what what what, what we want to aim for um on the flip on the flip side of that just on the strongman side of things because especially with um you know well especially over here in the in the uk with strongman being shown um over uh, over christmas and um it becoming it growing as a sport when you mentioned about you know the combat athletes not having to go to a maximum you know what we're going to uh, aim for around a, a lower weight is that similar to then with you know or what are your thoughts on the strongman side of things? Because they never actually go to, to maximum. It's always carrying events or, or anything yeah. from there. So how do you balance sort of the, the energy systems work, working for that, as well as sure. balancing to maintain the level of strength that they've got? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really the same thing. So it's, it's a game of trade-offs, right? Like the, the, it's the same rule. Like there's a certain amount of maximum strength that a powerlifter, or sorry, the strongman has to get to. It's obviously much higher than combat athlete. But most of the best strongmen are not world record holders in the major powerlifting events. Although some are, uh, you know, there, there are certainly some strength athletes who come from that powerlifting background and they have to develop endurance. And then you have guys that now have evolved purely into the strongman from the start. So I worked with a guy, Patrick Castelli. He was uh, one of my employees for a long time and ended up winning the, the lightweight strongman at the Arnold's, uh, I think, a couple of years. So I was, I was involved in his training for quite a bit. And a lot of it, um, it's, it's like what I said, it's, it's understanding where that individual athlete is really, really good. And maybe some are really, really strong with their endurance is lacking their strength endurance. And then other guys, you know, their strength endurance is solid, but they just don't do as well in the strength event. So again, that's where that sport is a unique challenge because again, the, these are trade-offs that have to be made and there are priorities that have to be made. And then also it's, it's event specific. So it's, you know, it's the carries versus the, the, um, you know, grip-based events, and each each event has its own strength requirements, its own movement patterns you have to get good at, and your own skill set that you have to develop. So it's it is a skill sport on top of being you know a strength strength endurance sport. So you know it's like I said, it's like anything else. You just have to understand what the requirements are and figure out where someone's really really good and where someone's lacking. And again, I think people just have to understand. I like to think of it like this: like you have a, a an in a finite amount of energy you can use to adapt to training. It's like, I have X dollars to spend every month because I can only make so many dollars and you need to be smart about where you're going to spend that capital. And it's the same thing. I can spend my money getting higher levels of maximum strength, or I can spend my money developing strength endurance, or I can invest in just one particular lift that I really suck at. So you just have to recognize, especially at the higher you go up the ladder, the, the more limited your, your ability to adapt becomes because it takes so much more focus on one area to improve just incrementally. And so a lot of it, it really is just figuring out, okay, what do we really have to improve here to make this athlete better? And now at the bottom of the level, sure, I can train everything. It's all going to improve because the person sucks to begin with. But when you're talking about an athlete who's trying to win the Arnold or trying to win a world championship, you know, very small differences can be the difference between winning and losing. 
So you might have to spend four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, just working on the carry events because that's where they're really bad at. Right. So, or the deadlift type events, you got to figure out where am I going to invest my training resources to make this athlete better. And like I said, the, the reason strongman's fun to watch and it's a fascinating one is because you, you do have the demand for a lot of max strength, but also that has to be maintained, you know, for much longer than a power lift or Olympic weightlifter would. So that's why, you know, again, it's a challenging sport. You can't go too far in any direction. You have to be really versatile in that high level strength endurance range. Yeah, definitely. I think there was a couple of points in there, especially in the terms of, you know, where are you going to uh, spend that energy or, you know, using the analogy of spending, spending the money. Um, and it's the same thought I always like to use that. Think of what buckets are full. <clears throat> right now, we can't fill that bucket as, as much. So we need to focus on, 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 the, on the other area. Obviously, yeah. we've, we, we've chatted about the combat sports and the strength sports side of things. And um, one question that I wanted to, you know, chat, chat about on your thoughts is, um, annoying uh, powerlifting and strongman athletes have come from other sports, uh, weightlifting as well. So obviously the the the, the main example is you know uh, Emily Campbell for Great Britain winning uh, a medal at the Olympics, coming back from an athletics background. Do you think, or what are your thoughts on um, athletes coming from you know more uh, generic athletic fields and they've got that base, getting involved in? more specific sports such as the combat sports and the, and the strength sports do you think that because they've had that grounding because they've had that conditioning base that it's a case of once they get the skill of the other specific sport they could actually progress a little bit more from an athlete's point of view um, or what, what have you seen what yeah, I mean, I, it depends on the athlete right i mean I, I will say so combat athletes is a really good example because mma hasn't existed for that long right it, you know, I would say arguably the nineties back in Japan, you had pancreation you had some of the early kind of MMA type sports, but in the early days of MMA, everybody came from a different background. You had wrestlers coming in, you had boxers coming in, you had the BJJ guys coming in. Right. And they all learned the other side of the game and they, they tried to get better at, you know, if they, if they were grappling, they tried to get better at boxing or if they were a wrestler, they tried to get better at submissions. And, you know, they, they evolved by trying to add these different elements to their game. But over time, the people that grew up in that sport of MMA and just, they weren't a boxer to begin with. They were just an MMA athlete. They ended up winning. I mean, they ended up being much more dominant. They pushed the sport forward tremendously. So I think if you can train one particular sport from the youngest ages, all the way up, of course, you're going to be head of somebody who spent multiple years training an entirely different sport. Now, obviously some sports transfer over better than others. I mean, somebody who's got a background in powerlifting is probably going to be better than somebody who is a professional hockey player going to strongman. <laughs> um, because there's a more direct transfer. Um, but, you know, you, you definitely face an uphill battle if you're only in the sport for two or three years competing with somebody who's been in the sport for 20. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think the more a sport evolves, the more that just becomes the norm. And the, the longer a sport is around and the more people are in the sport, the harder it becomes to be competitive if you didn't start out at a young age. I mean, let's look at, look at the sports that's been around longer, track and field and figure skating and all these events where like, I, I was just watching Olympics and there's a Russian, she's 15 and she's, they're saying she's one of the greatest skaters of all time. At this point, she landed the first quad jumps, you know, she's been doing that since she could probably walk, you know, is, is somebody who played, played, uh, you know, soccer until they were 12 going to compete with that. Obviously not. You know, you, you have to, at the highest levels of sports that are very, very involved like that, you, you kind of have to start out in that sport because you just can't develop the skills that are necessary uh, to do that at the highest levels. But I think strength sports are still, you know, kind of side sports to begin with. There's not a lot of people trained strongman from the age of five or 10 or, you know, 15. Like that's not really where most people start out, right. They start in other strength sports. So you're, 
you're kind of in a level playing field, but I think probably, you know, as, as time moves on and sports evolve and there's more money in the sport, you'll see more and more people gravitating towards that. I mean, you, when I was first getting this into combat sports, you didn't have people training combat sports in high school or middle school. And, and now you do because UFC has been around a long time and there's money in it. You know, if there was $10 million contract in strongman, I can guarantee you'd see a lot more people competing in strongman and they're much younger years. And you would see, you know, the development of sport would be pushed just naturally by people gravitating towards it. So it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's about the evolution of the sport. So I think it just depends. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Quite a lot of topics uh, covered there, Joel, and uh, you know a, a few tangents thrown in there as well. But the the last question that I like to I, I like to ask from everything that we've chatted about there, um, for everyone listening, what would be your take home points or, or words of, of words of wisdom from everything that we've everything that we've chatted about there? Yeah, look, I think the the biggest thing I would say is is focus on consistency above all else. You know, I think too many people get wrapped up in the intensity of the equation. How much can I lift? How hard can I go? you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's never really the long answer to the question of what should I do today? Uh, you know, think about what you should be doing tomorrow and the next day and the next day when you make a decision about what you're going to do today, because that's what drives home consistency. I think if, if there's one secret to success, I would say it's find the way to be consistent in everything that you do and you'll be successful. It's, it's the people who are constantly trying to chase the how hard can I go and, and how much can I do today? that other ones that fall prey to these short-term, you know, gains and long-term pains because they just aren't able to sustain that. So, you know, like I said, one, one thing is that it's just, it's just focus on consistency above all else and chances are you're going to be successful. If, if you forget about that and you, and you chase the every day, what, how hard can I go? You're going to have a uphill battle. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to, to finish on. And I think sometimes everyone's looking for the new answer or something a little bit more crazy, whereas actually, you know, consistency is going to like what we spoke about, you know, in terms of the, the greats of, of any sport. They've had that consistency. They've been able to play week in, week out. They've been able to have, uh, you know, regular fights and, and, and have uh, and, and stay consistent with that, which is, um, you know, exactly what we're, what, what we're aiming, what, what, uh, what we're aiming for. Um, thanks a lot, Joel, for taking the time to jump on. Really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to chat. Um, from everything that we've, we've chatted about there, if anyone's got any uh, questions about what we've chatted about today or see the content or the, the products that you put out there, where could people find you or reach out to you? Sure, just, just eight weeks out, number eight and weeksout.com. There's a contact form through there. You can find me Instagram, uh, just slash coach Joel Jamison on there. And uh, between, between the old IG and website, you can find pretty much everything I've put out at uh, one point or another. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Joel, for taking the time to jump yeah. on. Like I say, really, really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today. Thanks a lot okay. to everyone listening, and I will see you all next week.